Hey folks, hope your Q3 and Q4 is off to a good start. We just wrapped up Founder 500 in Austin, Texas. Hundreds of bootstrap founders showed up. It was an amazing time. I loved meeting so many of you. This interview today is a recording from that session, which you're going to love because now we have visuals, we have the founder teaching, and I made every single speaker include their revenue graphs and real artifacts in their presentations. Without further ado, let's jump in. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Please welcome Adam Baker to the stage. My father once told me that if you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail. So this should be an interesting 20 minutes. Buckle in. I'm Adam. I'm the founder of actually four SaaS companies. One failed. So I talk about that more than I do the the, the, um, successes I've had. Um, I'm based in London. Um, I'm currently the founder and CEO of DealPad. Oh, oh, that's not me. Oh, God. There you go. I told you. <laughs> I don't lie. I'll get you. Just, just right. talk. Okay. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my journey, um, specifically what I've learned across building four companies, bootstrapping um, every single company. I've, I've raised 2.5 million across those four companies. Um, and my Last company, my previous company, Blotter, we got to about 17 million ARR um, on that two and a half million. Um, other than that, I've bootstrapped. So, um, if we can skip another slide. Oh. What do I press here then? Don't hit the big off button. Oh, pr- <laughs> that's what I did. There you go. <laughs> I can run companies, but I can't operate tech. There you go. <laughs> um, so, my, my first company was called Blotter. Uh, and it's a, it was a real journey for us. It was a passion of mine. I wanted to change the world and, and, and how the world consumed news. I was convinced, still am, that so much is being undiscovered. So many news events happen that we don't know about because of bias or because journalists can't get there. Uh, and I wanted to be the catalyst to changing that. And so I set about building out some um, machine learning that authenticated news footage from anonymous sources around the world. And we built a, a global network of a million people. Um, we had a team of 27 people. Uh, and 18 months later, we had zero revenue. And it was a, it was a, a really kind of, I guess, pivotal time in our, um, in our company where I had, to t- similar to, to, to Gil earlier, I had to tell 27 people that I couldn't make their payroll. And I didn't know when I was going to better make it. And so I moved to New York, and I, to get away from it, obviously, from, from London, I moved to New York, um, and we turned off everything that we'd done for the last 18 months, which was this front-facing, um, consumer-led platform. And we turned off our entire network, and everyone was thinking, what, what, what are you doing? You're nuts. But it wasn't working. And I did a beauty parade in New York, and I went around to every single media organization that I could get into, which was pretty much most of them. And I showed them what we'd done over the last 18 months, which was breaking news stories before any of the mainstream media were able to do. And I came away with 11 signed contracts in about 10 weeks. We had about 300K of ARR in 10 weeks. And I went back and 
paid everybody, um, similar to, to, to Gil. Um, and we built that company out. And five years later, when we exited, um, 23 of 27 people were still with me. Um, and, and it really defined our culture, that moment where, you know, you shouldn't have to go through these seismic kind of challenges. But that moment where we were just had to be together and we all stayed together, it just defines culture. And that's, I think that was definitely one of the reasons we were so successful. And then um, my, my next company was, is Churnly. And I'm still the CEO of Churnly, but um, probably not for, for much longer, um, for good reasons. Um, so I launched Churnly in 2018. And if you look at our 19 revenue, our 18 revenue, we had 20K. And then in 19, we had about 600K's worth of revenue. And then COVID happened. And our customer acquisition went absolutely nuts because everybody stopped thinking about how can we generate revenue? It's how about how can we save our customers? How can we avoid churn? And so timing for us was great. Um, we were all walking around in like double masks, hoping it would never end. Uh, I'm joking. <laughs> Uh, um, but, it, but the timing was, 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 was good for us as a business. And we, we moved from about 600K to, six, to about five and a half million US dollars in 18 months, just, just, under, just under two years. And that obviously led to quite a lot of growth challenges for us in terms of people, in terms of support and being able to um, make our customers successful. But what the real challenge now for us is that we've gone on this massive hockey stick over the last kind of couple of years, but we can't sustain that because companies now aren't thinking about churn as much. And so the challenge that I've got as the CEO of this company is how do we continue to grow? And so um, obviously, as a, as a company that, that solves churn problems, we can't re re lose our customers. So that's our, our number one priority. Um, and then how do we grow? And so. What I'm going to show you is just some, some of the tactics that we've used. So we, we grew from um, about 200,000 USD to 2 million um, in 12 weeks. And the way we did it um, is by finding our ICP, our ideal customer profile. And for us, that was a really defining moment for, um, for, for, for Churnly. So let me just tell you a bit about our, our customer base. So we custom everything, right? So there's nothing off the shelf with Churnly. We've got some models that we use. One of the biggest challenges we have is data, getting our customers to, or our prospects to share data with us. It's one of the biggest challenges we've got from, from one data center to the other uh, for, for lots of different reasons. And so we, we really had to go back to the drawing board and figure out who our customer was, who did we want to service. We had, at one point we had DHL calling us and telling us they wanted to, they wanted to work with us. We could never support DHL, but we, we had that conversation and we wasted months talking to DHL. And we, we, we really had to home in. So we decided we would focus on B2B software companies that had a platform. And the reason for that is because, and I'll talk a bit about this in a minute. When you think about churn, a, a really big um, denominator of, of why users churn is how they use your platform. We're not just in a single feature. It's things that the human eye wouldn't find. It's a combination of features that will contribute to that particular user not using the platform enough or not growing enough. And I can talk about that in a bit. So what we did, we really looked at, okay, who's our customer? Who's our ideal customer? And then inside that customer, who's our ideal buying persona? And let's live their life. Let's really understand what they care about. So if you look here, you know, um, we, we're, we're, we're talking about you know, what keeps you from being more efficient at work? What limits you from doing your job the right way? You know, what parts of your skill set do you need to work on? What are you being asked to do more of? by 
you know, your business and your company? What's going to make you successful? We really wanted to understand things that probably weren't that relevant to, to what we were going to deliver to them, but we wanted to understand who that buying persona was. And then we looked um, at the problem we were solving. So is it a critical problem? Is their life going to stop if we turn this off at some point? You know, what, what are we solving for that company? And have, have, knowing the customer that we really wanted to target, knowing the user that we were going to hopefully be, be providing the, the software for, and then really understanding how our solution could fit that was a, was a really significant help. And so we built out, built out this framework um, that, that enabled us to go through this. It took us months, but it was absolutely the probably the, the biggest reason why we were able to then scale. So at Churnly, we, our average contract value is about 150K. So we've got customers at purse a lot more than that, and we've got customers at purse a, a lot less. But typically, it's about 150K. Our, our sales cycle is anywhere from about four months to a year and, a, and whatever, right? It's, it's, it's long. It's complex. So we are talking to multiple stakeholders across multiple teams, from finance to customer success to sales uh, to anybody that's involved in, in, in customer retention and, and, and revenue growth. And so we really had to make sure that, um, that we had the right, ourselves the right tools and the right framework. So we went back to the drawing board and we, um, we started to look uh, at what we needed to build, what solutions we needed to build to serve our ideal customer and our ideal buying persona. And then from there, we built out a roadmap. And what was really clear was that we needed to integrate into more of the, our customers' workflows. And we didn't do that very well initially. And again, that was a real tipping point for us because the moment we could go and sit inside a customer and we could say, yep, we do integrate into SAP or Oracle, which are the two main um, integrations we have, um, it, was, it was a game changer. And we, didn't, we wouldn't have known that had we gone, if we had not gone through the research. And so I just want to talk to you a bit about how we then win, because we still win, good, high-value deals uh, in a very, very complex sales process. So we've built out something called value validation. And what that is for us, it means that we absolutely want to get the executive sponsor of this project to the table. And if we don't, we don't continue the conversation. That's the first thing we ask for when we go into a sales process. Who owns this at the top of your company? Is there a budget approved for this already? Can we get access to them? And it's not just a hello, we want them at the table. And we have our own process. Now, one of the things with sellers, and I'll, I'll go back to, um, I'll come on to my latest company, DealPad, because this is fundamentally sits across it. But one of the, the, the biggest challenges that I've seen with sellers is that they're scared to ask questions. They're, they're scared to take their buyers through a journey. And so what happens is they, they just fall into the buyer's sales process and they're out of control of that process themselves. Nothing worse trying to run and build a sales organization when your sellers are out of control. And so what this value validation framework does is it helps us stay in control. So we ask our customers to commit to five workshops before we even give them a proposal, right? If they can't do that, we're out. We don't talk to them. So the first thing we want is that executive alignment. The second thing we want is to, make, is to ask that executive, who's, who's the, the kind of the management layer here that's going to be responsible for, for, for doing this? Both in terms of um, deciding and evaluating us, but also in terms of delivering it, integrating it and using it. And we, then we have a workshop with them. We ask them lots of questions. And then from there, okay, who are the user group that are going to be actually in this product every day? Who's going to live this? And we get that group um, to the table as well. And then we, we almost always talk to a, a, the IT um, department. So how do we then get your data? What data do you have? How's it structured? Can we even work with it? 
And we go, it takes about six weeks, and we go through this process. Now, you can do this for any single sales um, process you run. It hasn't got to be as, as detailed as this, but it, this works, right? Because if you start getting the executive alignment, um, even if it's a 10K deal, you're going to close that deal. I've, I've seen it work repeatedly, where we're in competitive processes, and differentiation is pretty slim. But we've won it because we've got to the exec sponsor first, and we've built that relationship with them. And, and that's actually got us the deal. And so at the end of all this, then what we do is we, we build out a small demo that we'll then take back to the entire team. We've probably got anywhere between 15 and 30 people in that call. Um, and we will then present back to them value. And that's the key. It's the value. It's the outcomes we're going to drive. Nobody cares how we're going to help them save their customers. Nobody cares. What they care about is, can we? And what does it look like? What's the indicative value we can offer you as a customer of ours? That's what wins us our deals. But we wouldn't, we wouldn't know that if we hadn't gone through this process and we wouldn't have had everybody there. And so this is just how we, uh, how we then deliver that, that, that last, that final session. Do you guys care about valuation right now, specifically your valuation? Do you think you might raise soon or sell a portion of the company? There is no other tool on the internet that you can use to get a better and higher valuation than FounderPath's new valuation tool. We have over 253 deals that went down over the past 30 days, all the revenue numbers, all the valuations, and the multiplier. That way you can go filter the data, find companies that are your same size, what they sold or raised for or at, and then use those as comparables in your decks to argue and debate and get a higher valuation and less dilution, which is the name of the game, less dilution. Check it out today at founderpath.com forward slash products, that's plural, forward slash valuations. Again, both plural, founderpath.com forward slash products, forward slash valuations. The best seller in your company is right here, it's you. You will, as a founder, you will always be the bestseller. I get involved in every single sales deal uh, in, in, my, in my two companies. And it, it takes a lot of my time, but it, it's, it's powerful. And I can tell you when I, um, when I outreach, I get 70% more uh, response than my SDRs or my AEs. And I, I, you know, I've, I've written these, these emails um, and Kermit at the end and, and, and the guy from uh, Narcos, if they don't respond to me, I just send them one of those. And honestly, I get about 50% of the responses back just from those. If, so I know that if I send two or three emails to, to usually a founder or the exec sponsor of the, of the company we're trying, to, um, we're trying to win, if they don't respond to me, which is pretty usual, I'll just send them the guy from Narcos and, and, and I get a response. And, and it opens the door. And, and silly little tactics like that really do work. And so, um, you know, I reach out. This is one of the emails I've sent uh, for DealPad. Uh, I you know, tell them what we are. Uh, someone from my team is trying to contact you. Um, and I'd like to let you know um, that if there's anything that I can do as a founder, um, I'm really, I'm, you know, I'd love to help you. So you just let me know. Nothing else. No sales pitch. Nothing. Just, just to let them know that somebody from my team is trying to contact this. That works brilliantly. So again, if you're a founder, try and align on, um, on that. And then just some ads we run. So again, um, we don't do very much um, inbound, to be honest, but we run a few ads on LinkedIn. So we've put some eBooks out there. We've put some, some kind of ads. These work really well. And although the numbers aren't high, you know, that generated 8,000 post impressions for us, which was a 3,000% increase. 
And so just small little incremental um, kind of touch points or cross LinkedIn, for example, um, make a big difference. So I'm, I'm obsessed with outcomes. As I've, as I've probably already said, value and outcomes is what I'm obsessed with. We, we sell outcomes. And I think every, if you think about your business, it doesn't matter what you sell, you should sell outcomes. Don't worry about your features. If you sell features, I guarantee you, you're going to be drawn into price. And you'll be in price negotiations all the time. People are going to haggle and try and get your price down. Focus on outcomes and value. If a, if a customer buys your product, what are they going to get back? What's it going to do? What's it going to help with? Try and show them reference stories of customers that look just like them and what you're doing for them. I promise you it will elevate everything you're doing in your sales motion. So we're really focused on, um, on, on not talking about features. We hardly ever demo. Uh, we never demo on a first call, ever. Um, and and you know, we, we will just talk about value. Can we solve the problem that you're looking, you know, that you have? What is that problem? Really dive, dive into that problem. Can we solve it? And then on the back of it, you'll get really good reviews. Um, and we've got a whole bunch of five-star reviews because we deliver value. We understand what value looks like to our customer. We're not just going into this thinking, oh, great, they've bought our software. Now let's just get them in it. We actually know what the outcomes are they want to get out and invested in our software. It makes a big difference. Sounds really simple, but not many, not many companies are doing it. So let's look at churn. How many of you look at contraction? right now, when you think about a, a customer attrition. One of you over there, two maybe. Yeah, not many, right? Contraction is churn. And people don't think about it. They look at churn and they think, oh, we've still got a customer. What they're not looking at is if you sell by, how many of you sell per seat here? Quite a few of you. So if you're selling by seat, contraction is the biggest killer for your business. Because you'll, get, you'll bring a customer on, you might sell 100 seats, and you've still got that customer in 12 months time, but you've probably churned 60% of your seats. So you're contracting revenue. And so what we look at is how you, how you stop contraction. And what we've found is that there are a number of kind of common triggers that, um, that really um, determine whether a customer is gonna churn or not. And so credit card expiries, if you, if you, if you enable your customers to pay via your, your web app and they pay on the credit card, their card expires. They're not coming back to your, your platform and, and updating their card. And so you'll, you'll keep on sending them reminders and they probably won't do anything about it. That customer will at some point churn or they'll contract, particularly if it's a single seat business. If you're selling single seats, it's very, very unlikely. Um, the other thing is with single seats, if you sell single seats, I, I guarantee you're not going to be able to grow that company um, as, as well as you could. Because when you sell single seats, the organization that your that company work, that person works for doesn't know anything about your software. What, what we've, when we, we sold by seat initially, and then what we did is turn that off, and we just go and sell into the company now, and we sell directly into the, into the organization. It takes longer, but you'll get a much higher ARR, and you'll retain that customer much better than you would had you, um, you know, had, had, than if you sold single seats. If you don't see, and this sounds an obvious one, but if you don't see growth from an account, the likelihood is they're going to churn. Right? Then, or they're going to contract. You need to develop growth strategies for your customers every single day. And I see CSMs, customer success managers, customer success teams, just focus on engagement. They're focused on how do we make that customer successful. That's great. But how are you going to grow that customer? How are you going to surface opportunities for that customer to do more with you and become more dependent on you? Because if, you keep, if they keep on buying more things from you, even if it's just small incremental things, they're going to stay. 
And, and so growth in, in a customer success team, I think is the, the number one part of, of, of a customer success team's job. Because you, you think about it, you're never gonna grow a customer if they're not engaged. So they have to be engaged to grow. So think about growth and how you're gonna surface growth opportunities. We see that a lot. And then finally, I've touched on it, but um, this, this, is where, this is very arbitrary and it's very, very difficult to, 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 to understand from the human eye. But when you look at a platform, you might have, we put a little bit of JavaScript into each, in each product feature in our customer's <coughs> platform. And when you, um, when you actually look at the usage and how people are interacting, you can start to get patterns. And so, and it, but it's, it's very different from every, every company, which is why we custom build our software. But you'll start to see that the, the, you know, the, if you use this feature with this feature and this feature, you're more likely to better grow that customer. And so that's the kind of predictive analytics um, analysis that we, um, we provide our customers. And so just very quickly, this is just a classifier. This just shows you that we've got our, uh, our precision um, on, our, um, on our machine learning prediction to 98%, which is the highest um, in, in industry for sure. So I've, I've covered most of this. Um, Integrate into workflows if you want to really make sure that you're building customer value and customer loyalty. Very, very difficult for a customer to leave you if you're embedded into their workflows. They're not going to turn you off. If you're not and they're using your platform on, on a web browser, for example, it's very, very easy for them to switch it off, move to a competitor, and you'll lose them. So if you can, figure out what their workflow looks like. What, what's their tech stack? What's their sales stack? What's their CS stack? And, and bake into that. You know, don't have them in your platform. What, you, know, you, don't, you don't need them in your platform. Have, get into the workflows that they're already working in. It becomes way, way less likely that they'll leave you. Single seats again, as I said, and a growth strategy. I think they're, the, they're the biggest reasons I think that, you, um, that the customers will, 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 will stay with you. So moving quickly on, I've got 30 seconds on this clock, but it's going to take me a couple of minutes. Um, my, my latest company is called DealPad. And DealPad helps companies get deals closed. And so this is a combination of all the work that I've been doing over the last 15 years, building my four or previously three software companies. Um, and I've used this, this framework all the way through those organizations and particularly with Churney to get these deals closed. So DealPad is a, is a digital sales room. And it's, it's a space where you bring all of your buyers together in one place and you share all the content, all the information they need to evaluate you. And then you build out mutual action plans to align on a close date. And so, Everything that needs to be ticked off in order to get a deal closed, you align with your buyer and your entire buying team. You attribute um, who the owners are and what the, what the close dates are. So every single task is a close date. So you're actually working to a main close date through very small little incremental close dates. And, and it's very, very unlikely that a deal slips. And I don't know how many of you suffer from slip deals and your salesperson saying to you, oh, this is going to close on the 25th of August. And then that comes and goes and the deal doesn't close because the buyer isn't aligned. The buyer doesn't know that's a milestone for your business. And so what, what DealPad does is, look, is looks at that. And just to give you an indication of how, how, um, how it works, this was one of our customers. This was, this was their, their closed one in uh, Q, what is that, Q3 last year. Then they started to build out mutual action plans um, via DealPad. And in the next quarter, that's their closed one. And the following quarter, that's their close one. So mutual action plans and bringing your buyers together works brilliantly. We see it repeatedly. So I've already spoken to you about that. And then finally, I'll just jump through these things. I just want to talk to you a bit about some traps that, that I fell into um, 
I'm sure there are some experienced people out here, you've got more experience than me. But three things that um, I learned really quickly was you need balance. And as a founder, it's very, very difficult to get balance. You need to be a quitter. So I learned to quit. And you need to really think really carefully about exiting if you're fortunate enough to get acquired. And so um, the, the, the whole idea inception piece for, for a founder is that you know, you're, you're always going through this cycle. I do it every day and I've, I've said I've built four companies, you know, I'm stupid, I'm making bad decisions, you know, why am I doing this? I don't believe in myself and you have to kind of check yourself all the time um, to ensure that you're on the right track. But believe in yourself, you're going to get so much negativity. You do, I'm sure you do, I get it every day. People say no, people telling you that you're stupid. Believe in yourself because nobody else will believe in you if you don't. And then... From here, it's doing the right thing, um, but understanding when you do the wrong things, quit quickly. And it's almost that fail fast kind of mentality. Don't be afraid to quit. And I've seen so many founders, I invest in about 20 odd um, software companies. And it's crazy how many founders just can't quit. They keep doing the same thing all the time. And, and, and you know, if it's not working, just park it and move on and do something else, you know, and not business-wise, find another strategy because you'll find something that works, but you've got to keep quitting. And then finally, balance. Um, you know, if you look on, the, on this chart, this was me before um, when I, I used to work 90% of my time and now I work about 60% of my time and I'm way more efficient. I'm building, I'm working across two companies as, as uh, CEO. Um, and the main um, thing here is I've really focused on my meetings and so I've cut my meetings back and I'll focus way more on products and sales. For me, that's all I care about. If I can support my company and my team in one way, it's going to be on sales. That moves the needle on everything. It makes everything easier. If you don't have sales, you're not going to grow. You're not, if you, you're not going to raise money or at least at the valuation that you want. As a founder, going back to my, my previous point, you are the best salesperson in your organization. Leverage that. And I guess this is where I'm at now. Um, so I'm spending a lot more time on personal things. I, I love holidays. I probably drove Nathan mad because I was on an island a few, for, for, for a few weeks and he couldn't get hold of me. And I put my slides in for this about three days ago. But, you know, that's my life. I want that. You know, like I've, I've, that, that's how I, I balance my life now. And if, if other, sorry, but if other people have to kind of, you know, work around it, then so be it. Uh, you know, that's what works for me. And I think as a founder, you've got to find what works for you. And then finally, just earn out. So I won't go into this too much, but I'm doing a, um, a brain day at one o'clock, I think, downstairs. So we'll keep, we can talk about this. But if you're interested in kind of what happens during, during an exit, um, I've, I've got some horror stories that I can share with you. Um, and well, just one very briefly was that um, when I sold my first company, I, um, I was a sole I've been a sole founder. I, have, I haven't co-founded a company, um, but I didn't have any, any investors. So I just did this on my own with a lawyer that had also never done it before. And, um, and we agreed that most of my um, equity was going to come at the, obviously at the back end of my earnout, and the company kept moving the goalposts. And so when I did the deal, um, I, I, my, my earnout should have been something in a region of about five million. So it wasn't massive, but it was you know, enough. And when I came out the back of it, I got about 900k from it because they kept moving the goalposts through through that period. And so. If you're going to go through an exit, make sure that, you know, you're in the driving seat of this deal. It's your business. You've put your life into this. 
Make sure that the terms are right for you. And if they're not, don't be afraid to say no and walk away from it. And that's a really, really difficult thing to do. But I can tell you that, you know, you, you will have so much more peace if you, if you say no and keep control than if you do a deal because it feels right and you haven't, done the, you haven't got the right kind of things in the contract and the agreement at the beginning, um, it, will, it will come back to hurt you. So um, you're, you're, as a founder, stick to your business and, and, and uh, make sure that you're doing the right thing for yourself. All right, so over the last 20 minutes, I think, a bit more, um, I've kind of shared my experience, particularly around why customers leave, why deals get closed, and some kind of hopefully some ideas for, to, for you guys to think about and help you build your, uh, your companies. Thanks so much.